No Jumper, coolest podcast in the world. And today I'm in here with somebody who is a legend in multiple games. Big Herc is in the building. What up? How you feeling, man? Feeling good, man. My pleasure is mine. I appreciate the opportunity, man. Yeah, I appreciate very much that you were uh, willing to drive out from your suburban abode that you now uh, dwell in and uh, show us some some personality <laughs> over here on the podcast, man. Oh, yeah. You know, I got to come and show some love, man. Right. So you kind of retired from California recently? Yeah, yeah. I moved uh, last November, kind of after all the stuff was going on. I went out to Arizona to visit, and I just, like, fell in love with the place. Really? And, like, within two months, I packed up and left. Mm. You know, and I'm from California. I'm born and raised, you know, born and raised in Sacramento, lived all over the L.A., the Bay. So it was just a transition, man, but the people there were great. Mm. Definitely. Well, you were just a, a, attracted to a more of a slowed down lifestyle? It's just the, le the level of living your comfort zone as far as just the way you actually deal with your day, your day as far as just you're relaxed. Mm. You know, there's times where I'm chilling in the pool and I'm thinking, what am I missing out on? Like, right. why am I just so just at peace rather than when I'm out here, I was just on the grind all mm. day, every day, you know, trying to look for this, look for that angle and in Arizona, the way, you know, the area I'm at anyway, the more suburbia, people are genuinely friendly. And if you meet somebody, they're most likely going to, you know, show you some love as far as help you out without expecting anything in return. Right. So it's just a different mentality. And I kind of, I, I hadn't seen that in a long time, you know, mm. so it's just, it was, it was different. I just spent a week in Hawaii. And I very much kind of left with that feeling of like, man, I am so much more relaxed and laid back out here than I am in L.A. And I think that's the challenge is to like to hold on to some of that and mm -hmm. to, to bring that sort of peace that is easy to get when you're sitting on a fucking beach all day. Mm -hmm. Bring some of that back to your regular life, even when you're, you know, hustling and bustling and all jazzed up on caffeine and whatnot. It's finding that zen. Mm. You know, my sister's a teacher in Hawaii, and she loves it. And she, you can't pay her to move back to the States. But uh, I went over to visit, and like you said, it's just your mind is just relaxed. Mm. You know, you can see clarity. Your, your creativity, I think, is at a different level. And then when I come back here, you're kind of, you're, you're, you're juiced up again. It's not like, you know, you're, it's like you have a fresh energy. Right. So actually, when I come back and forfeit, it actually works better than when I was staying here because I felt like I was just kind of getting drained. Right. Definitely. Do any of your neighbors uh, where you stay at now, do any of them know that you run a fairly uh, successful YouTube channel where you talk about prison shenanigans? Um, well, it's funny you say that because I've been in traffic and seen, you know, white guys with four by fours with flags in the back and dudes like, you know, and I'm like, you know, roll my window down. Big hurt. And I watch <laughs> your stuff, man. Good shit, man. Watch your stuff. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And I'm looking at the dude like, damn, he watches the, you know, the the fresh out. So it's like, it's it's crazy, man, because you know it's crossed over a lot of barriers. I had a lot of law enforcement. Mm. Hey, man, I watch your show, dude. Good stuff. What you're doing, you know. So it's it's been a lot of positive feedback. That's a and, crazy uh, feeling right there, right? That's that's like, man, that's really props. I mean, having that on my, I mean, I've been pulled over numerous times. Cops are like, big Herc, man. Good good stuff. I'm in law enforcement, man, and I, mm. I you know, I watch your stuff. That's interesting. Yeah, I remember one time I was in uh, Queens. It was uh, my first time ever having a cop want to take a photo with me. And I said to him, I said, that's crazy you want a photo with me because I used to do credit card fraud all over the place in this area right here. And he didn't really look like he knew what the fuck to say to that. I was like, oh, it was like 10 plus years ago. It's fine. But, you know, it's crazy is that the cop, 
hit me up on one of my live streams, he was working the day I robbed the bank. Wow. He actually said he was getting off shift. He got the call and he said, I remember up, we were setting up a perimeter to stop you guys on the morning of the bank robbery. He said, now you're doing this, dude. He said, dude, you, I'm so proud of you. You changed your life. And that was 20, that was 20 some years ago. Wow. To have that guy still be able to relate and remember me from that day, he said, I remember that day at work. And you know, the change you made in your life, man, is just, it's just great. That's amazing. Yeah. So let's let's dig in a little bit to your early days. So you, you were born and raised in Sacramento early on? Born in Sacramento, um, lived there like off and on my whole life, between there, the Bay Area, and um, you know, used to skateboard, BMX. Really? The whole nine. You know, when I lived in the Bay Area on Treasure Island, which is now something else, it used to be a military base, but we used to skateboard and, and BMX, and that was a big thing. You know, back then, Tommy Guerrero, Pau Peralta, um, Mark Gonzalez, I mean, Jesse Martinez, we used to go and skate Embarcadero, Chinatown Banks. I mean, we were into it. Wow. I was probably, there was only like maybe three black skaters. I never would have thought that you would have such strong knowledge of skateboard oh, BMX. Oh, man, I had a list for Kasai. Wow. You know, I had a Schmidt Sticks. Um, I had a block, a couple blockheads, and then yeah, I used to skate. That was my thing. I wanted to be a professional skater. This is when they only had Trans World, and uh, I forgot the other Thrasher. Mm. And uh, you know, we should watch Bones Brigade like weekly. But um, you know, then I living on the base. That was my thing. Then when I went back to SAC, the elements had kind of changed, and that's when I got into the street stuff. But, but let me ask you this: How accommodating did you feel like at that time skateboarding was to you as a black person? No racism whatsoever. Really? I living on the military base, you don't you don't even notice that. My neighbor, mm. Filipino, other neighbor, Mexican, my best friend, uh, white. We go over his house, have pancakes, spend the night. His mom take us out. My other friend, Hawaiian. There was no racism in the Bay Area. You had everything, so there was not even an inclination that you know you were different because you were black. I mean, going to school in Frisco, Laotian. Uh, like I said, Asian, uh, you had everything. So it was a melting pot. So only, re only time I really noticed skateboarding as far as me feeling kind of different when I went to school, when I moved back to SAC and everybody was playing basketball, right. dudes were kind of like into more the hip, you know, it was a little bit different vibe. So I felt like kind of like I was an outsider at that point. Because I feel like I, I keep seeing articles that are like, you know, this person is like breaking free from the sort of white, boy culture of skateboarding and yeah there's like a lot of truth to that but at the same time i've always felt like bmx skateboarding were very very open-minded and also like a lot of the most relevant skateboarders and bmx riders were basically like kids from new york city la etc who who you know a lot, a lot of young black kids who like were some of the most important people to ever step on a skateboard or a bmx bike yeah i think that narrative, if they push more of that, because a lot of the, I mean, two of the best skateboards I ever seen were these two brothers who lived on the military base on YBI. And I mean, these dudes could all eat five boards. They would all eat, just do crazy stuff, kick flip back in the day. And I'm like, damn, and you hell ass, but they didn't, it wasn't cool to be a skater, black. You would do it among your friends, like mm -hmm. our little white group, but when you went to school, you played basketball. Right. You don't want your homies to know that, you know, with the starter coats that you were a skater. Right. Cause then it was like, oh man, you a weirdo, you know? <laughs> Back doesn't then, that, doesn't that seem funny now when you look back at it? The, like oh, the world man. was so much clo more closed-minded at that time. Yeah, yeah, it definitely was a different era, man. In the um, in the eighties, hundred percent. So, okay, did you have big dreams of the skateboarding thing though? Like, were you thinking I could be something doing this, or was that did that never cross your mind? No, I actually, you know, witnessing like 
Tommy Guerrero come, or actually Mark Gonzalez come down and skate Embarcadero and seeing uh, Caballero at a at an exhibit, you know, at Cal Expo. I thought maybe one day, you know, I could do that. But, you know, my mom's, you know, being able to afford to buy those skateboards, it was, you know, it's expensive. You're breaking skateboards, you need parts, you're doing this and that. So gradually, I went from skateboarding to looking up to the dudes in the street and wanting to be a D-boy because I've seen these dudes and it's like my my interests change. Instead of wanting to just, you know, be a guy out here skating quarter pipes or pools and all this stuff. You're like, I got to have money. I got to have money, man. Mm. I mean, I, you know, the girls, the money, you know, I wanted to be that guy. Did you actually move from the military base or did you just start hanging out in that area? No, we moved. My mom got divorced. And when we moved, we moved to a part of like my neighborhood, North Highlands, which was pretty much the dope street and, and a lot of like elements there. And so that started having a, a very big impression on me. Wow. Okay. So set the scene for us when you sort of show up, like what kind of stuff are you seeing out there on the streets? I mean, dude, you seeing, you know, guys rolling up and down cutlasses on Zenith and Vogue, bumping music. You see dudes, ex-penitentiary dudes, you know, walking down the street with perms and jerry curls. And you just, you know, you go down to the park, you see dudes out there shooting dice or working out in the park or drinking 40s. And you just see the element, you know what I mean? And you're looking like, hey, what are they doing out here? And back then it was right in broad daylight. I mean, dudes would be selling dope and it'd be like In-N-Out Burger and it was just, nobody said nothing. It was just normal. It's kind of different now because you have so many generations of like trauma that you could witness in these communities. Whereas at that time, you probably didn't even fully like understand what this shit was doing to people, right? No idea. No no idea. And, And you didn't really, you were just trying to find acceptance. And me, never really having a male role model going back to the neighborhood i was trying to gravitate towards somebody where i could find my identity so i was constantly looking at different guys like who i want to emulate you know do i want to emulate this dude over here or do i want to kind of play football do i want to play basketball i was all over the place you know mm-hmm. trying to find my identity right and it, it ended up you know getting caught up in the streets you know by 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 accident when you think about that though you had a father who was around no. Or it was... Stepdad. That, that was, was your stepdad. Okay. Yeah, piece really? of garbage. Yeah, so he, you didn't have a strong male no, role model. No, no. He, he, he was the type of dude, like when my mom wasn't around, we were like, he liked Mad Dog. You know, he wanted him type of dude. So it was like an mm. intimidation thing. And so literally once my mom got the divorce, I said when I got older, I was going to whoop his ass. Mm. And eventually I would confront him, but he didn't want no, he didn't want no part of it. But you I was like, that was done my goal. Anyway, right? Huh? You should have beat his ass anyway, oh, but at right? the t- by the time I seen him and I was grown 18 I was working out I'd been to YL I mean juvenile hall I was ready to like you know to bust dude upside his head because I felt he you know for all the intimidation tactics and stuff he did when I was little I was grown now so that was one of my goals when I got older was to beat him up you know what I mean but I didn't even know because he looked so pathetic when I confronted him mm. I gave him a pass right I feel you um but okay so you're like knowing everything that you know now about your development and everything when you look at the way that you were sort of searching for an identity with one of these guys in the neighborhood do you draw a connection from that back to just not having a strong male role model and like do you think that that was kind of the thing that made you be so open to all these different possibilities I, I exactly I do I, I, I deep heartedly I believe that because if I would have had you know 
And I had a, like my grandfather around, but I mean, as far as somebody talking to you, you know, showing interest, like, you know, hey, Adam, man, you're a good skateboarder, man. Here, I mean, you should keep doing it. You could be a professional or, hey, man, um, you know, you're a straight A student, man. You ever thought about becoming a, an architect or, you know, this, you know, or maybe a stockbroker? And, you know, and I, I wanted to do some of these things. I mean, I read about mutual funds when I was a sophomore. I mean, I was a straight A student. I thought about maybe I could be Gordon Gecko after seeing Wall mm-hmm. Street. I had all these grand dreams. But every time I'd had these dreams, everybody, like, you know, wants you to pipe it down. Oh, man, mm-hmm. you know, that's you need to just do this or that. You know, it's like it would break you down. Like, damn, you you don't believe in me? You don't think I could be a pro skater? Mm-hmm. You don't think I can maybe be a stockbroker? You don't maybe think I could be a professional football player or maybe a clothes designer? You know, I had all these dreams. So when you get crushed on a lot of your dreams, you just fall and, and try anything. It's so easy to cut a kid cut a kid's dreams oh, off, man. you know? It's so easy to say, like, oh, that shit's impossible. Or, You're not going to be able to do that. And that could have such an impact on a kid who is looking at adults like they all must be telling the truth, that they all must know what they're talking about. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of parents do it unconsciously because they are only able to get you to a certain point. And so if you want something beyond that, you have to seek outside your family circle for guidance or for inspiration. And that's where a lot of kids fall short, because if you want to be a coder or you want to be an engineer, you never met an engineer or a lawyer. How do you know how to go about doing that? Mm. How do you know the particulars? You know, if you grow up around a doctor, your uncle's a lawyer, your, your, your pops is a CEO in a company, your, your dreams are on a whole nother level. Mm. I mean, those people already have an edge because your st- their standards is here and yours is here. You're thinking, oh, man, a nice Toyota, you know, Camry's a nice car. And this kid, he starts off with a, with a Porsche 911. That's his Toyota. So his, his game is going to be so much more elevated in his level of what he can accomplish. And that's, that's the big gap. Mm, definitely. And that just builds upon itself generation after generation of yes. people who don't necessarily have the role models that they need to, to push them in the right direction. And when I have conversations with people who you know, have like a super connected, tapped in family, successful, et cetera. And you realize how easy it is for these kids where, you know, if if my kid were to say, dad, I want to start a a t-shirt company. (laughs) All right. I know everything about that. I can Mm -hmm. tell you everything you need to do. You know, if you want to start any kind of small business, I know tons of shit and I can put you in the right mind state to go out and get that. But if you, if you're lacking that, that positive reinforcement as a kid, it can be really, really tempting for a kid to go in a bad direction. Well, just think about like in, in the hood, how many kids know what an LLC is? Right. How many kids know how to get a DBA? I remember as a, as a junior in high school, I started a clothing line and, you know, I didn't know how to get a DBA. So I'm looking in the yellow pages and then I got to try to find a T-shirt place. And I'm going to these warehouses in Huntington Beach and, you know, I'm doing all this experimental stuff, but nobody's helping me. I'm just trying it. I didn't know what I was doing. I found a lady who print T-shirts and try to sell them at school. So... You know, if you have somebody that's giving you, like you said, the game of, hey, um, let me connect you with this person. Hey, go sit over here and they'll break it down how they start their company. Dude, you're bound for greatness. Mm. So it's all about the people who are around you, who influence you, which are going to like later enable you to be successful. Mm, 100%. So how do you start finding your way in Sacramento uh, at that time, though? Like, where, who do you end up sort of fitting in with? Man, I never, I, I, I got caught up in the, in the street element, man. I mean, at, you know, 15, 14 went from skateboarding to playing sports and then trying to hang out. 15 eventually went from playing sports to wanting to be a D-boy. You know, wanting to be a representative of the neighborhood, you know, kind of banging a neighborhood. So 
I felt like by doing that, it would give me a rep and then also kind of help me find my identity because I didn't have an older brother. So knowing that I had to stand up for myself, I had to be extra aggressive. So I kind of took on that persona and eventually led to me catching a, a, you know, a case for selling crack and getting jumped and, you know, all type of crazy stuff. Right. Yeah. So did you start to realize that you could develop a reputation for yourself through violence and through your, your lack of fear, basically? Yeah, because initially I had that fear from being intimidated by my stepdad, mm. you know what I mean? By him, like, you know, sh you know, kind of, kind of deboing me. I said, man, I got to get over that. So, you know, I used to, I used to work out in my backyard, do pushups. I used to have these dumbbells practice punching. And like I said, if I get into anything, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bust a dude upside his head. So my whole thing was trying to prove myself, even though, because I was kind of already, I was already smart, straight A student, you know, talk pretty proper. So people are like, oh, you know, I would have to go extra to show that I'm not soft. Mm. You know, then I went from skateboarding too. So I'm like, I have to, you know, take on these different traits. And that took me down a, a, a really a dark, you know, a dark path, you know, which led to a lot of other things, which it, it took years to break that, man. It led to me eventually, you know, going to the pen and, and you know, in the feds. When you look back at that time period in your life, what do you wish that you had done? And in terms of like realistic options, because there are, you know, you have to defend yourself to some extent. You have to make money to some extent in the in those kind of environments. Like, what what do you wish that you had been able to impart to yourself? To be honest, man, I wish I would have never got involved selling drugs. I wish I would have stuck with skateboarding. You know, um, back then, um, I actually have sketches still where I was trying to design shoes, and I wrote Nike. I wrote Adidas, and I, you know, and they sent me a model release, and I tried to design shoes before they had a CAD and all that stuff. I was drawing pictures, and, you know, so I had a lot of creativity in me that I wanted to be successful. It didn't like I just, you know, crack was the last thing. You know, I was trying to make this money because I figured, man, I make this money, my mom and everybody be rich. We live in a big house. We, mm -hmm. you know, happily ever after. So I wanted nice things, but I just didn't know how to go about getting them. So I wish I would have had more of a, and exposure and influence, because a lot of that exposure I didn't get till I moved to Huntington Beach, which, you know, the OC bubble. And I seen those kids there and I'm like, wow, man. But it didn't resonate with me because I didn't. It's like I was there by default. I wasn't there because my family had money, but I was going to school around these kids whose parents had money and I didn't understand it. So it was like, how do I get there? So having that influence, I think if I would have had that mentor or had somebody that took me to, you know, to a, a brokerage house with him and taught me about how to do, you know, how to trade stocks, I could have been a series seven trader. There's a lot of things I could have done, man, because I, I had to I had a I had a drive, but it was in the wrong direction. But do you think that to any extent, like even if you were able to give that young version of yourself all this advice that you might still end up going in the same direction because of the fact that. The idea of going to college for X amount of years to then make, you know, a relatively not that crazy amount of money, it can feel so depressing to you as a young person that the streets really, really do hold that allure because that's your way to theoretically not have to spend the next however many years that you're going to need to actually get yourself somewhere in the workforce traditionally. You know, not for me, I think it was different because school was easy for me. Mm. I, I got, I got, I'd never, I only got maybe 
I didn't start getting the, I didn't get my first B in school until probably my sophomore junior year. Right. I would stay, I was I was in trigonometry as a freshman. I had chemistry. I had Spanish too. I was uh, school. I, I it was easy. I loved it, and then you know, and I liked getting good grades. It was it was an embarrassment to get anything less than a, a B. My grandpa used to say, "For every A, I give you twenty dollars." So I always got straight A's. So I had to drive in school. I just needed more direction on where I could have took that drive. So going to school wasn't like it was a bore to me because most of the people I hung out with outside of that, they were dummies. They, mm. no, they couldn't even pass it. You know, these guys couldn't do algebra. You know, they couldn't do, you know, basic algebra. Mm. You know, they didn't, they didn't have uh, any inclination to really get, to be educated. And for myself, school was something my mom always instilled in me, like studying and stuff. So, I was already a studious person. Mm. I just didn't have, like I said, the direction with it. Do you think it was the allure, the the fast money rather than, like if somebody had told you like, all right, you do good in school and you're gonna be able to make $100,000 a year in however many years, that might've sounded all right. But then there's a there's a degree of bravado and and, and, and you know risk and, and everything like that. The idea of that fast money that a lot of people, I feel like their brain is a little bit more wired to, appreciate that than to necessarily be concerned about just how much money you end up earning at the end of the day. I think if you put it in perspective, because once I, once I got broke off 120 months yeah, and I'm sitting in federal prison and you do the math and I'm and the, and the, you know, actually I'm sitting in a holding tank and I'm like, dude, man, I'm not going to get out till I'm 30 something years old. And then I start looking at like how much money I could have made mm. instead of what I did to get there, the bank robbery. And then when you really look back now at all those guys that I looked up to, they're all, most of them are drug heads. They're done. Mm. They're busted. They didn't, none of that drug money is nothing. Those guys, most of them are sitting at home in a, in, in a place, man, looking at a roach or some old crumbs on the tape. I mean, they're, they're not doing anything. So hindsight's, it, it, you know, hindsight's a mug because if you can see hindsight, like these guys you were looking up to aren't really about anything. All they're doing is hanging out. Their lifestyle's unhealthy. You know, I would have maybe a thought different, but in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, it's cool. It's, I'm looking for the moment. Mm. And so I didn't, and in my, in my immaturity, I thought that was the way to go. But once I got to the pen and I'm looking at dudes in there, been down 20 years, got 20 more to go. God, man, dude who got three life sentences. You, know, you put it all in perspective, like these are grandpas up in here doing time. And a lot of kids will shoot somebody before they really think about what, oh. it's, what it would be like to do 20 years for shooting somebody. Dude, there, there was a guy in there and he was already serving time for like drugs and something else. And I remember him telling a friend, he's like, dude, I hope they don't call me back on this other this uh, murder key case, man. And sure enough. Oh, so-and-so, R&D. He's like, oh, man, they're going to call me back. He Now he's going back to get retried on a murder because there's no statute of limitation. Mm. So whatever now DNA, new evidence they can come up with or whatever, they can put it together, another case. Mm. So now you're already doing 15. Now you're looking at a life, and they can run that consecutive in the state to where you get out the feds and you go do the time in the state, or they can run a concurrent. But a lot of times these guys, dude, you're sitting in there. When you got bodies, I knew a guy who said, man, I just want to – I just want to get my points low enough to where I can get somewhere to where I can escape. Wow. He had life. That's, that's the, the tiny crumb of hope that he's Man. holding on to is escaping from prison, which even if you're optimistic, you probably have like a 0.01 chance of pulling off. I knew a dude who tried to escape. And then spend the rest of your life in hiding. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds great. No resource. What, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? Yeah. Because they never stop looking for you. Plot and scheme. Yeah. Dude, I used to look at, he used to tell me stuff and I'd sit there and I'm like, 
you know, you're cordial, but you're looking in the eyes of a killer, man. Mm. You know this dude got some bodies. I know he got some bodies, man, but you got to, you know, you got to keep a straight poker face. Right. You know, these are real killers up in there. And it's, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a braggadocious game because nobody in prison is talking about who they killed. Mm. Oh man, I blasted my ops. Nobody. Dudes is trying to get out. Literally people are trying to go to law library. They're trying to pray. They're trying to do all kinds of stuff, find a, a witness or anything, man. They're trying to get out of prison. I've never seen a killer admit he killed somebody in prison, even if he has five lives. Really? And I've seen a guy who had, he had three lives plus a hundred years. Wow. He's like, man, these, the government, they're dirty, man, blah, blah, blah. And he like had like 15 bodies on his case. Holy shit. <laughs> There's a rapper that I was supposed to interview at one point, FBG Duck. He's kind of a legend out in Chicago. Yep. And, you know, he got, got murdered before I was able to get a chance to interview him, which was obviously upsetting. And then yesterday they announced that they had arrested five young men in Chicago. And then one of them at least was like an up and coming rapper that has many many thousands of views on his shit and i mean i don't know exactly what the what what way they were able to catch him i was surprised it took so long because i'm like they killed him in the fucking busy ass shopping district where there's got to be cameras everywhere i mean i'm just you know i'm i'm on one hand i'm so jaded to it because i've seen this play out so many times before but at the same time i'm just looking at the faces of these five kids thinking how much could you possibly have thought about the consequences of your action when you went and shot this guy, you know? And now you guys, you, you might never be back on the streets after this because it's not like they just got you for one murder. They probably got you on a whole bunch of other shit too. You're probably a serial murderer. Yeah. My friend's son, he, you know, tried to raise him the best that he could. His son was out in Florida, gang banging, got beat up in a parking lot by some dude. He went out to the car, got mad, shot the dude like 10 times in front of witnesses doing 50 years, 50 years. And he said, man, he said, he said, Herc, when I go down there, man, I look at, he just be crying. Dad, man, oh man, crying, dude. He'd been down five years crying. Every time he sees him crying. Florida, man, up in there crying. You're, you, 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 50 years? Dude, you're not getting out of Florida. You're 50 people, you had five witnesses, people witnesses. Mm. Murder, you're done. You know, what, what are you thinking? Murder, murder, premeditated. You got beat up and you, you killed this dude because you were gangbanging. You were out here doing something stupid and you, and you got beat up. And instead of like saying, hey, you know what? I took an L, you went and killed this dude. Mm. Dude, the murder, I've seen a lot of dudes in there, man. And I'm telling you, they're like, man, Big Herc, man, I just want to go home. I've seen OGs, man, crying, crying. Dude, it ain't no joke, man. I used to like think like, man, I'm glad I don't have, I'm glad my stuff isn't more serious than what it is. Because <laughs> I mean, you know, a decade is a long time, but when they put that weight on you and you're trying to figure out how to get off of it, you can't get it. I mean, how do you, what are you going to wait to your old man and beg for mercy? And hopefully to get, I mean, dude, that's crazy, man. Terrifying. How, mu how much, when you think about it, it's kind of like a weird mental calculus you have to do when you think about a young man who puts himself in the situation where on one hand, you're a dumbass. Like you, you really fucked up and you're really gonna have to pay for a long time with, with a whole big chunk of your life. On the other hand, there's a part of me that's forced to look at it and think some of these dudes were probably indoctrinated into gangbanging when they were 13, 14 years old. Some of these guys probably had an OG put a gun in their hand and tell them go kill this guy before they even had fucking hair on their balls. And how, like, how do you think about that? Because a lot of these people, their, their environment might have dictated a lot of their behavior. I, I, I totally agree with the environment as far as having a big influence. And that's why as a parent, 
if you really care about your kids and your kids are, you know, possibly prone to any type of like, you know, it, it, situations like this, you got to spend the money and move. Mm. You got to get them out of there, man. I mean, it, it's so important, you know, and I didn't realize it till like later on when I think back to like the friends I went to school with over here in Sacramento and then the friends I went to school with in Huntington, all these guys over here balling. Living in Laguna, nice families. My one friend's dad, he's a billionaire. Mm. This kid over here, he, they're all making six figures. Great families, no violence. They don't even care, you know what I mean? But then over here, all these people, all this just, been, his son been to the pen. This one's caught a dope case. This one's been in and out. This one has this, you know, all the, and you look at the difference and it's, it's, it's what you're exposed to. Mm. If you've never been exposed to anything and that's what you think your norm is, then you, you just go along with what you think you're supposed to do. I mean, I knew guys from Long Beach who, who you know, some crypt dudes, they never been to the beach. That's mm. like, damn, dude, you live like 10 minutes, you never go to the beach. When I first moved to Long Beach, I had I had a friend who was essentially from a gang, and he, he said that. And I was like, what? Like, I couldn't even process it. I'm like, it's right over there. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, but look, the, this area is our, our enemies, and then this part is our enemies. I'm not fucking going through there. Dude, it's crazy, man. That was kind of hard for me to even believe when I first moved out here. You know, I always say if you were able to give a kid a chance and, it, you know, he could be if you can give him enough to where he can take him out of that environment, he could thrive over here. But you he has to you have to break it. It's like you have to break that 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 ego, because once you get caught up in this, like once you start going to Hawaii, because I've been to juvenile hall. I've been to white, and once you get in that cycle, I've seen these guys. Once they get in there, and dude, it's like they're gang banging. They max out at twenty five. They get out the out of YA, and they're basically getting ready to go to the pen. And it's just a cycle, you know. And like you said, they're gone. So their kids, their baby mama, seen them in the pen. Little 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 Nene running around now. Like you said, he don't probably got a gun from somebody, or he's running around hanging out with the little kid. And so he don't have because he have no father figure. Mm. So it's just repetitive. And so pretty soon, little Nene's in juvenile hall. And then he goes from juvenile hall to uh, to, to California youth authority or whatever youth authority. And then he's, he's just graduating because there's no influence there. It has to be some strong male figure showing these young men that there's options. If you don't have that, I mean, I had a great mom. My mom wasn't on crack or nothing like that. She tried, but I need a strong male figure. And honestly, I watched uh, the, the Vice uh, documentary that you had where your mom offers a lot of her viewpoint on everything throughout your life and that really did hit me too it was like this is a really really studious uh serious woman and you can really feel the pain that you put her through to be totally honest like it, it it's intense like it emanates out of her like the the disappointment that she felt at different points during your life and i assume that that was probably pretty crazy for you to watch on tv at one point too yeah, because there was a lot of things she said that I didn't really think about, man. But, you know, I crushed her, bro. Mm. You know, and I think about that. Like, you know, when, you, when you're out there doing dirt, even though I never disrespected my mom or called her out of her name or any, you know, I make sure I kept all that stuff away from the house. But at the end of the day, I'm her son. And then when she hears about this, she's like, how would I raise that? You know what I mean? How did it end up there? You could tell that your mom wanted more than anything in the world to protect you from that and that she had to live through the painful realization that there wasn't anything that she was going to do to stop you from figuring the shit out on your own. Yeah. Yeah. I had to bump my head, man, multiple times, you know, until I finally like woke up like, Whoa, you know, 
oh, where am I at, man? I'm in a dungeon, you know, mm. and it's like, oh, I got it. This is this can't. I got to change. I don't want to be here. Right. So when you but when you were in prison or your early experiences being incarcerated, where was your head at during that time period? Had you fully sort of absorbed this like hard headed gangster persona as like a defense mechanism against all the shit out there? You know, when I was in like juvenile hall and the boys ranch, um, everybody in there was gangbanging and selling dope still. Mm. So literally, like, you know, when you would go to visiting, you see guys in there and uh, their parents had, you know, rags on the head, blue rags, red rags, everybody was banging. And when we had weekend passes, a lot of these guys would go out and sell dope on the weekends and come back. So I'm seeing this and then I'm also kind of like mad because I'm not getting visits from my mom every weekend. So I'm kind of holding on to some resentment, which is still kind of keeping that just street element brewing in me. Mm. So I never really shook that, even though I stayed out of trouble for a little while, I still had that edge because I was around these guys and I was still trying to figure out my identity. So I hadn't totally, it didn't really, it didn't really kick in to that, to that, you know, to leave that lifestyle. Right. Definitely. So, what, your first time being locked up, though, was for selling crack. And how long were you in that time? Uh, and and how, how do you break this down? How many different little bids did you do before the big 10-year one? I, okay, when I was 15, I got busted for selling, for selling crack. And I ended up doing um, a little over six months for that. I did two months in, the, in juvenile hall and then three months, 28 days in a boys' ranch. And then I got out. My mom got married. We moved to Huntington Beach. I stayed out of trouble with nothing to do. Mm. Huntington Beach is surfers, skaters. It's a totally different environment. I'm like, wow, this is different. I felt like I was, I, I felt like I didn't fit in. I was a square out of water. And so as soon as I graduated, I moved right back to SAC. Right back to SAC, right back banging, right back getting in all type of dirt. And what, it, what was it about Huntington Beach that was so boring to you? We, we just had the conversation about how much you like Arizona and how I had such a great time in Hawaii because they're so peaceful and laid back. But was that not speaking to you at the time? You know, I just didn't understand it at the time because my lack of maturity. And then my mom moved my senior year. So I either had, you know, I didn't really have anywhere to go. I didn't really get an invite to go East Coast. So my only backup plan was to go live with my grandparents in Sacramento. But if I could have stayed in Huntington, I probably would have never got locked up. Mm. I would have never gotten in trouble. When I got back to Sacramento, it was already expected because all my homeboys were selling dope. My other homeboys were, were robbing drug dealers. You know, I was going to go to college. But, I mean, really, what was left? I mean, it wasn't a whole lot of hope in Sacramento. So, eventually, I ended up getting caught up in a home invasion. Right. Okay. So, at what age was that? And had you done a bunch of those at that point? Was that, like, a regular hustle for you? No. You know what, man? I, I gave a guy a ride. And he's supposed to be, you know, a lick with some weed and this and that. We're going to split it up. I'm like, oh, I'm going to have a little bit of pocket change, you know, going to college. I have, you know, you be able to spend a little money. I ain't got to worry about a job. Anyways, you know, did the, did the, the home. I gave him a ride. They did the home invasion. Okay. They got away. He ended up getting caught up later on. And, and then, like, everybody got arrested after, the, like, six months later. And I was 18. So I was locked up from 18 to 21. I ended up getting... I think three years, and I did two years, eight months, and and CYA. Okay, and more of the same shit. Was that, or, or would you describe that one any differently um, than the others? And, and C, CYA, man, I was, I mean, same thing. I was young, didn't really have any any anybody older like getting at me as far as 
helping me kind of find my way. Um, I did some positive things in there, though. I ended up going to fire camp. You did a bodybuilding competition, did some art stuff. I was doing positive stuff in there, but I didn't know what I was going to do when I got out. So I was still like a, a lost kid. I was just in there just, you know, living by the whim. So when I got out, I still hadn't really found my direction in life. Mm. So eventually, I, you know, I got involved in other stuff. You you discovered bodybuilding in there, and that's what, how you got excited about lifting weights and shit. Yeah, yeah, because I actually, when I was in, when I was in juvenile hall, when I was in uh, juvenile hall, I worked out, and then when I got to CYA, I'd already been kind of working out anyways, and I just really took it to another level, working out, eating healthy. Um, Was it hard to eat healthy when you're locked up? Well, in there, they allowed us to, um, they had a, we could send in packages. Right. So we get packages sent in like canned tuna, canned chicken, um, uh, protein powder, different supplements and stuff. So we were able to kind of eat healthy. And one of the guards there was actually an ex-bodybuilder. Wow. So she kind of laced us up on bodybuilding and said, hey, I can get you guys in a contest. So I ended up actually competing in a bodybuilding contest while I was in uh, the fire camp. They had their own Contest of just prisoners competing against each other? No, it was actually in the city of Grass Valley. It was a competition. It was the Bear River Classic, and they allowed us to go, and the guard took us to the competition with regular people, and I actually beat up, beat all these other regular people in the contest off of a prison workout. So I I'd took be first pissed. Place. I'd be like, this dude don't got nothing else to do. He gets to work out all fucking day, and he's going to come and beat my ass in this contest. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty dope, man. I got a big trophy, and the guard, everybody was like, man, I couldn't do no wrong after that. Did you ever pursue that super seriously after you got out, though? Um, you know what? I didn't because once I got out and I started looking at, like, how I could support myself, I'm like, damn, there's no money in bodybuilding. No. I've heard, <laughs> I've heard that from a yeah, lot of people over there's the There's no years, money. Yeah. It's like, damn. Like, you know, in the picture, you see a guy with a Lamborghini. He's swole, yeah. hot chick. You're thinking, damn, okay, I'll get out here. I'll be buff and I'll just make money. And you're like, dude, it don't pay nothing. I think if you're like the top 10 guys in the world, you can make a pretty good living. But besides yeah. that, it's, there's hundreds and hundreds of dudes that are never going to make oh, bro, shit. Living out of their cars. Yeah. Horrible, man. Swole, dude, swole. You're looking at him like, damn, that dude, he lives in his car, bro. And he rents a room over here. And you got to basically treat your body like a science experiment, putting all this crazy shit into yourself. Extreme, bro. Very, a whole nother level. You never got into steroids? No, not not like the whole thing about that. Once I started talking to guys and, and realizing like real dudes like telling me like because I initially I thought, oh, the Joe Weider stuff, I'm taking this, doing a creatine, um, do the extra protein, do some of this other these different type of uh, over the counter uh, supplements they have. Yeah. But then it's like when you realize it, that those guys on those bottles ain't taking that. And in order to get that way, you got to take a lot of this other stuff. And I'm like, dude, how how do you get that big? I mean, I don't want to. That's too much. I didn't want to put my body through that for no pay. It's not like you're yeah. an NFL athlete. You can't get a Nike. You're not getting a shoe contract, Nike. You're not getting Adidas. You're not getting a Rolex. You know, you're not getting anything to endorse to support that. So, like you said, at the end of the day, you're abusing your body, but you're not really the financial gain is not there. When I was like 21, I got real into working out and was so fascinated by it. And then within six months, I had basically like figured out how fucked up the whole <laughs> industry is, and how much, how terrible what they're doing to their body is with the growth hormone and all this crazy shit. And I was just like, yeah, you know, working out is great, but. <laughs> this shit is crazy. Yeah. That's why I just do it to stay to stay young. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't to, to compete. It's not worth it. Right. Definitely. Do you ever feel? Do you, how much of a difference did you feel like the working out made in terms of your ability to beat somebody's ass? Though was that like a big part of it? Oh yeah. Being, <laughs> oh yeah. You know, being in shape because even in the pen, uh, 
being in shape and, and being able to like, uh, you know, kind of hold my own made a difference in people wanting to challenge you. Mm. Because if you are, um, say, like you said, you said credit card fraud. So a dude asked me, you know, cause he always see me studying going, he said, um, big Herc, what you in here, man, for credit card fraud? I said, nah, bank robbery. He said, oh man, you had a note, huh? I said, no, I didn't have a note. I had a pistol, man. It was a hostile takeover, blah, 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 high-speed chase. He's like, oh, okay, okay. So why are you always going to the law library then? I said, man, I'm studying, man. Maybe I can find a way to get out early. Maybe there's a new law. Maybe they made a mistake in my case. He said, man, why don't you just do your time, man? I said, man, why don't you do your time? Oh, man, what you, what you trying to say? And dude squared off on me, so I squared off on him. Mm. And I'm like, this is the ignorance you're dealing with, but... He was testing me because he's like, oh, if you were in here for some credit card fraud, we're about to, we're about to mash on you because you're soft. They, they, they thought I was soft, but when they said, oh, you know, because I talk a certain way and I'm, you know, my mannerism, I would say, excuse me. Thing. You know, I, this stuff my grandmother taught me. So a lot of times people take your kindness for weakness. And that's such a crazy, insane fucking attitude, too, because realistically, if we had two guys in front of us right now and one was a bank robber and one was a credit card fraud guy, I'm betting my money on the credit card fraud guy for having a lower odds of going to prison. You know? Yeah, of course. Maybe you could pull it off. You know, you might, you're probably still going to get locked up. But the bank robber is really living on borrowed time because that is not a career that has a super high success rate. And see, well, the, the thing is, too, people have a tendency to judge your crime on your level of what your toughness is. Right. So if you're a big dude, soft spoken you did credit card fraud oh man maybe you soft mm. so maybe i ought to try you but if you have a streak of violence in you maybe i'll think twice before i try to roll up on you and so people are always trying to see at what level where they can you know it's, it's a psychological game everybody's trying to fill each other out to see what they can do to another person mm. assert their manhood over somebody and it's always i feel like it must have always been weird for you because you're clearly very intelligent was there a time period early on in your life where you didn't appreciate that you almost considered it like a liability and you tried to hide that from the world because of the people you were around you know i never and well in a sense like i guess you know when i was hanging out and i'm around these people and i know my mom wouldn't approve of it and i'm looking around i probably did dumb myself down to hang mm. out with these dudes because the level of conversation that i would try to have like i would try to organize like thinking hey man maybe we could become a a real mafia or do some business stuff or do this or man you ever thought about maybe we can invest in this and they would all look at me crazy oh man you talking all that crazy stuff man out hollywood stuff blah 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 mm. and i didn't get it at the time but i was i was in a whole nother league i was hanging around guys who didn't have the ambition or drive i had but i was trying to somehow fit into that to that circle mm. Really makes you think about somebody like a Charles Manson who was able to like control all those people's minds and be sending them out to do all this crazy shit. Like that that takes a lot of a lot of mental control to make a bunch of people do psychopathic things on your behalf. There's a lot of guys like that in there though, because they have all the time to mm. figure out how behavior, how people react to things, you know. That's your that's your survival edge. You know, we're all dressing the same. We're all going to the same places to eat. We're all in, we're all living in the same type of environment. So what separates everybody mm. is your mental edge, your ability to see something. You know, I've seen a guy, they'll look and see if a guy is uh, walking funny. And I do, he went to, damn, he came back from laundry. He got some tight ass pants on. 
Damn, let me let me see what's up with that. Or you know, see a guy he's walking around. Oh man, I'm I'm whoopty wop, man. And I'm like, okay, I get I do two weeks. Mm. He's gonna get he's gonna get he's gonna find the blues. You see, there's a lot of things going on, a lot of dynamics, you know. So you gotta always be paying attention. There's a guy over here. You don't you know every time you come out the cell, he looks at you. He's miserable. He's got 40 years and you only got two, and you made a lot more money than him. He wants to do something to you. Mm. He's mad because you, you, you consider winning because you're going to get out before him and you still got money. Right. You got that dude. This is a lot of elements. So you're constantly just trying to figure out chess moves ahead of all these different individuals. Right. So then you go and you do a couple of years for the home invasion, right? Yep. And then how long are you out after that before the, uh, the bank robbery thing happens? Um, I get out. Um, get involved, do entertainment for a little while. Ooh, I like that. that. Yeah, yeah. You I, don't, know. I don't care how, how deep you want to go into it, but as a as a performer myself, much respect. Yeah, I got into that because that was you know living you know being locked up eighteen to twenty one. That was my other backup, not bodybuilding. If I can get out and make a bunch of money. But did you have the same realization that you don't make uh, money yeah, doing I male porn? That, I found that out real quick. <laughs> I found that out a little hundred dollars back in '94. I'm like, damn, this ain't nothing for all that work. Mm. So you know, eventually I um, got back into you know somewhat hustling, you know, selling weed, going to college, you know, grinding. Then got into other stuff, selling meth, and but, but you coke. did good as, when, during your time as a male porn star, though. You did good, like you you. Did you feel like you were very talented in this regard? Because I heard you talking about it, and it sounded like you had no problem performing. I, I had I had fun because I was serious, and I didn't really. I kind of took it as a profession. I treat the girls well. I wasn't one of those guys who, you know, you know, on the girls. You know, the girls like, damn, dude, just, just do the scene. Ninety-five you know? percent of guys could not handle what it actually oh, is, to, including myself. I get away from with doing a little bit of stuff with my girlfriend and stuff because you know I'm a well-known podcaster already. These dudes who can actually show up and stay hard on command for six, seven hours. It is crazy that anyone can do that shit. You know how I many dudes that said, Big Hurt, I can do it. Bring me to the set. <laughs> I know, I hear it all the time. Dude, I brought him to the set. Oh, boy, what's up with your boy? What's yeah. up with your boy? I'm like, dude, man, I told you. Oh, man. Uh, you know, so dudes talk all that mess, and it's like, it's a whole nother world. You got, back then, you know, you got, like, imagine all these lights, and then you got a boom mic, mm. and then you got all these people around you. Go. And it's worse than we're making it sound because oh these God. days you have to shoot all the photos before you actually have oh, it. So yeah. you have to take photos in the positions before you shoot those positions. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you got to start over again. Exactly, bro. As soon as I realized that, I was like, bro, these dudes are heroes. This shit is insane. And then what about the stunt guy? The guy who's waiting for you to fail. <laughs> he's in the back. He's like, you need me to come in? Right. And then they're looking at you like, if you fail, the word circulates. Oh, man, you know, Herc is not, not that strong. I know how hard it is because I've heard so many stories from so many different girls about dudes who do this for a living, who are experienced and have, and professional and trying to do a good job, who have completely failed and basically fucked up the whole thing. And when I hear the girls talking about it, that's when I really realize how difficult this shit must be for some of these dudes. Yeah, it's rough, man. And I, I did... You know, I, I worked in that industry 94, 95, and then came back uh, 98 to 2000. And, you know, it was like, I always felt like I was there, but it's like, man, there's it's something, it's something bigger for me to do. Mm. So, you know, and I couldn't, a lot of the guys, you know, it's very cutthroat. You know, dudes talking behind your back, oh, Adam, blah, 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 or, oh, this and that. So they're gossiping about you and dudes hating on you because you got your own thing. And, you know, I remember guys seeing me, oh, man, that's your girl. Does she know you do porn? 
I'm like, dude, what are you, you know, dude's trying to hook up with your girl behind your back. I had dudes yeah. call my house and tell my girl where I was at. What? Yeah, back in the day, remember the old recorders? She, they, they would call my house phone and then basically say, oh, yeah, you know, Herc was over here, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, how, how is she finding out? You same dudes. That's next level hating right there. Oh, dude, man, smile right in my face. Do, I found out Do you later. ever look back at that time period in your life and you're like, well, you know, it didn't work out, but at least I have some some fairly legendary uh, chicks under my under my roster And, and, and you know what? I was one of those dudes. I didn't do a lot of talking. Mm. If I said, like, I was the type of dude, if I said I was going to sell dope, I sold dope. If I said I was going to rob, so I rob. You know, if I said I was going to try being, I did it. So I did it, and then I, I'm, I'm beyond it now. Mm. But at least I said that I, I'm a, somebody who keeps my word. You know, if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Right. So that's, you know, that's how I kind of look at it. I mean, I don't really, like, you know, the people that are in it, you know, more power to them. But it's just like after I got out and seen the game, I'm like, a lot of those guys, I'm like, dude, I done passed them up. Mm, definitely. So, okay, you, you you do your little stint doing that, and then at some point do you give up or do you get caught up while you're still doing all that? Um, I was actually, when I got, when I caught my bank robbery, I was still, you know, doing porn at the time here and there. I was still doing scenes. So... Um, for whatever reason, my mind was still on that gangster mode. So when the opportunity to rob the bank was presented to me, I entertained it thinking, oh, man, it's just another little lick. I could just add this to my, you know, to my resume. And, um, you know, it just turned out to be all bad. You know, it just was a it was a horrible choice. And, um, you know, it was moment. It was the buildup that led to that. Though It wasn't like I woke up one day saying rob a bank. I had already been doing so many other things as far as making choices that led to that choice mm. so the build-up i was for, when i heard you talking about that stuff originally i was like you must have still been at a point in your life where you were impressionable where somebody could come to you with a little plan and you didn't have like, you know if somebody came to me tomorrow and said hey i want to do this this and this fraud scam thing you're going to make five million dollars i would be like bro i already got a track that i'm on i'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm cool yeah, yeah, you know yeah. yeah now yeah you still hadn't really found that no. thing that was tethering you to the path that you were on right no i still had that edge i still had that like i can still go get it you know mm. I, I wasn't i wasn't nowhere near in the mind frame i'm in now right you know and um it's crazy man like i said that that whole incident it, it it led to where I'm at today, but I know it was always something bigger because I'm the only one who's still alive from that bank robbery. Right. And both my co-defendants are dead. That's pretty cool. And they, they didn't die in prison? One of them got out, did less time than me. He probably got out, did like six years. He got lupus, died, like wow. within probably uh, two years, three years of being out. And the other one was the guy on uh, you know Skid Row who... Uh, Got in, you know, they said the LAPD was doing a cleanup and he um, got into it the LAPD and he got shot like five times. Wow. But he went crazy in prison. If he was in Skid Row, it was probably not oh, dude, going he, in his direction anyway. He was already, he had did majority of his time in the middle ward. Wow. He went crazy in prison. That's fucking nuts. Lost his mind. Damn. Yeah. When you look at your life, do you ever feel like you're, <laughs> that you've lived such a life that you're kind of shocked that you're still here today and it feels like, the person that you used to be in your 20s or whatever that's this other guy that's this guy that it's almost hard to even remember that you were that same person sometimes i feel that way i i do and i try to reflect and think about like when i see like other youngsters i'm trying to reach out to people like what was my mind frame at that time because i can't even begin to think about entertaining a lot of the choices i made then you know as far as how far i came and um 
Yeah, it's just a crazy period, man. I mean, to go through that, and I, you know, the whole time I did time in prison, I didn't get one visit. Mm. So I did eight years, eight months with no visits, and I had to basically try to figure out, like, was I just that much of a piece of shit? Nobody mm. wants to come see me? And now I had to turn that not into, like, I'm going to get out here and be worse. I got to use that to sh prove everybody wrong. So my whole thing was to get out and be successful to show that, I made a mistake rather than, yeah, you know, I always knew you was a knucklehead. So I had to try to reverse that. Were you even trying to get people to visit you? Were you reaching out to your family yeah, or your you friends? Know, I, at the end of the day, like my family that was on, a, on the East Coast, I was on the West Coast. And then, you know, none of your homies wants to come see you in prison because don't nobody, that's bad juju. Don't mm -hmm. nobody really want to come watch, see you in prison. Yeah. And then, you know, I didn't have a girl. And so, you know, I just kind of thought like, I wouldn't want to really put nobody through that anyways to have to go through these, you know, because pr prisons is way out in the middle of nowhere. Mm. You get out there, you have to go through all the stuff, you have to, you know, get approved and this and that. So I just figured that it would make me stronger. So when I got out, I would be more disciplined in what I needed to do. So it just worked out that way. Definitely. So was this your first time in being being in like real prison or, or it was like a different level of federal prison at this point? Well, federal, I mean, before that I had only been in like, you know, the, the California Youth Authority, but, you know, federal prison going to USP Lompoc back in, you know, 2000 at that time where, you know, people are getting stabbed on a monthly basis and you just really see the reality of it. You know, I had an epiphany, man. I just felt like, you know, my life, I have to find my my purpose, my calling. So I kind of, it took me on a whole nother like spiritual journey, spiritual path. And I kind of, I just really separated myself and then just kind of did my own thing. So it's like a new beginning for me. So did you, you, did you go in there still holding on to some of the sort of, you know, tough guy or like gangster mentality you had before? Or did you go in there already knowing that you wanted this to be your last time being locked up? Actually, when I was on the beach, the day they arrested me, I was on, I got arrested on the boardwalk in Ventura County off the 101. And when I was laying there and they were putting handcuffs on me. They pulled I, you over? Not, well, it was a high-speed chase. The bank robbery is a hostile takeover, high-speed chase, oh, okay. a spike strip. Right, right. I jumped out the car, jumped over the freeway center divider, ran across four lanes of traffic. I ran up an embankment. I was trying to find somewhere to hide. I figured if I can get somewhere and hide, maybe I can, you know, I can elude the police, you know. And, you know, there was nowhere to go. Everything was, like, locked up. And so I ran on the boardwalk, and then they said, hey, you know, get on the ground. And I got on the ground. And then when I cuffed up, and they were, like, laughing and stuff, I'm, like, looking out, looking at the ocean. I'm like, dude, this is it's a wrap. And the dude who arranged for this whole robbery to take place ended up being the dude who snitched on you? No, that's the guy who went in the bank with me. Oh. He, he snitched, but then he felt so bad, he tried to take it back. And then he got the max when he got sentenced. Because the cops were so mad that he tried to recant a statement? Well, well, no, because the judge said they were going to give him a deal for like six, seven years. I was looking at the most time because I had the, the most intensive criminal record. Right. This guy's never been in trouble. But he felt so bad for telling. He's like, look, man, I'm going to tell him I made it up. And he tried to go to trial. And you don't go to trial in the feds once they have the discussion. I mean, he told everything. Yeah. And so he went to trial and they gave him like, I, I want to say like 17, 18 years. 19 years, so he, he wow. went crazy in prison. He stopped showering, you know, was going, talking to himself. He did a lot of his time, I heard, in the mental ward. Wow. Good, he just, he just lost his mind. That's insane. And then got out, never checked into his probation, and just went to live on the streets. Just lost it. He wanted to be an actor before that. This is the same dude who got killed. Same dude that got killed. Wow. Yeah, lost it, man. It's just like, I was watching the news, like, this, you know, so, Charlie Satterman got his job. I'm like, damn, I, that was my co-D. Living on Skid Row, bro, living in a tent. Wow. 
For every person, yeah, because my store used to be in Skid Row, and I would always be looking at people just thinking, like, the story that got you here has got to be some shit. Because a lot of them are too fried to even fucking tell you what their life... Not that you would even maybe necessarily believe them if they told you, like, that they did 10 years for a bank robbery. A lot of those people, I'd be like, yeah, all right, like, whatever. Like, they're, they're schizophrenic. They're saying crazy shit. you would never shit. know. But, I mean, everybody down there got a story. For sure. So, okay, you get locked up in there, some cultural differences than what you've dealt with before, but did you have like a relatively easy time getting to fitting in in there, even though you were kind of trying to change your ways? Yeah, you know, most of the slack I caught was from other brothers. Really? Because of how I carried myself and how I talked to a lot of people. Because having an edu you know, educational background, I was able to go in and, and learn how to shepherdize cases, how to put together briefs, how to help guys file like, you know, 2255s or 2241s, which is post-conviction relief. So I was cool with a lot of dudes, East Coast, dudes from Philly, dudes from Chicago, dudes from New York. So they, hey, Big Herc, what you got, man? Blah, blah, blah. Check this out. What do you think about this case? You know? And so a lot of dudes would get jealous. You know, oh, big, you know, you think he a law bear, but it's like hating. Dude's hating, and you know, then they turn around. The same dude hating would later ask me for help. Mm. Hey, man, I got this divorce proceeding. Can you check it out for me? Just check this dude out. It's crazy how there's like a whole culture of not wanting to better yourself in there, huh? Like nobody really wants you to rise up above what you are today. And once you start hanging out with those guys, you try to break away. Like say every day you go watch the Laker or, or BET with a guy, 4 or 5 o'clock, and then you stop doing it. They're like, hey, man, what's up? What's up? You can't. Yeah. You too good now? Blah, blah, blah. He's like, oh, I want to look at my case. Hey, homie, we we supposed to be eating our little spread together. Yeah. Then it becomes an issue. So I realized early on that I don't even want to start that, so I'm not even going to allow myself to get pulled in that direction. And two of my you know mentors in there, one was a white guy, ex-Vietnam vet. Um, you know, sad to say he was a heroin addict, but he was hella smart, you know, had 30 years, put his daughter through Chapman University. She worked for the Federal Reserve. I mean, this dude was hella smart. He broke down, you know, all these legal terms for me. And he, he really educated me. And he pulled me up. And he's one day, and he's like, dude, what are you doing going to the law library today? I said, man, I'm just researching. He said, man, you're trying to, what are you trying to research? I said, I'm trying to get out early. He said, man, let me show you something. And old white guy. And, like, the brothers didn't really say nothing to me because they thought he was crazy. But he was helping a lot of brothers in the unit. So I got a pass to kind of hang out with him. And mm -hmm. I would go to him every day and be mentored. And he helped me out a lot as far as really believing in myself as far as my, my level of uh, in intelligence and how to, you know, research and do things. And he taught me a lot about the law. And then I had another older gentleman, a brother, who taught me more about being, you know, how to be a, a strong black male. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So, yeah, you... you did you feel like you kind of figured out the person that you wanted to be once you got out for the first time in your life while you were there in a lot of ways? Because it sounds like you really kind of like figured out the man that you wanted to be. Yeah, yeah. That 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 whole time, I felt like really after about a year, I was ready to come home. Mm. I knew I was ready. I You couldn't convince me to commit another bank robbery. I wasn't going to entertain no crime. You know, you couldn't sell me no bullshit. I wasn't going to buy get no kilos. None of that. You know, I was going to get out. You know, get a business, you know, or start, a, uh, you know, start something or, you know, I was ready to get out and be successful. So basically it was Groundhog Day year, you know, day after day, year after year after that point, And I just kind of developed my own group of 
guys I would study with and we all worked to better each other. And so when I got out, the transition was a lot easier, but I found myself and there, there, at that point, there was nothing you can entertain me with. I didn't, I didn't talk about cr anything criminal. I didn't, you know, tell war stories. A lot of guys tell war stories and it's, you know, they keep rehashing old stuff. I let all that go. I didn't, I didn't talk about any of that. And did the environment sort of allow you to make that clean break? Because when I'm, I was watching one of your more, well, not recent, but like a couple of years ago, you made YouTube videos basically about what to do if your friend or your brother was basically being raped in prison. And, you know, your, your attitude was basically like, you know, you really have no option, but it's time for you to fight. Like, you have to defend yourself. There's no other yeah. way around it. I mean, like, did, did, were there situations still like that while you were locked up, even once you had decided to change your life where you still felt like, I got to I gotta put some work in, even if it might be putting me at risk of having to do some more time? There was a situation where I had a group of guys. I had a pretty diverse group of guys in prison. Uh, Korean, white, Belizean, um, black, um, Mexican, we all would study together. And one of the guys at one, one of the spots out of that, he was getting visits and he wants to start bringing drugs into the prison. And I'm like, dude, I, you know, I, he's like, what do you think? Blah, blah, blah. We start making money. I know some dudes up in here. I said, dude, you're going to, this type of spot, bro, it's, there's, there's, there's a lot of snitches in here. You're going to get caught. You're going to get caught up. And it's going to bring us all down because we all hang out together. Mm. So you're going to think it's a, it's a conspiracy. And he got mad and he's like, oh, man, you always trying to, be the shot call, try and tell everybody what to do, man. You know, F you, big hurt, man, blah, 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 blah. And we almost got into it because I'm trying to tell him, I don't want him to catch another case either, but mm. you're going to compromise everybody. And so at one point, you know, he, he, him and like a couple other dudes, you know, he kind of plied like he wanted to jump me, but I just told him to come in a cell. I'm not going to go in a TV room so you can try to jump me, but I'll, we can go in a cell in this little small close quarters. And so once that kind of like kind of dissolved you know from that point I, I never really had any other serious situations but it's just the conflict where some people think oh you think you know it all but my my whole thing was I'm not going to get caught up in anything else stupid so mm -hmm. I didn't even want to get involved in that and yeah. there was a lot of opportunities for that but I'm like I, I don't want to even be around it yeah the more you have your head screwed on straight the more that you probably start to notice opportunities of ways that you could pull one over on the guards or whatever right and well, and there's dudes talking like, hey, man, you know, so-and-so's got a hookup, you know, I can get you some bird or this guy over here. He's got the, you know, he might have a plug on the street from Molly or you get out, holler at me, blah, blah, blah. But, you, you know, I know I can see you're about your work. You know, you can get a lot of connects. You can mm -hmm. go in there and come out with a list of connects and then, and, and, and you know, in a month start making moves, you know, but that's that same direction. So I didn't. I didn't even want to entertain any of that. So I just focused on legitimate business ideas that I could do when I got out that would allow me to be successful without having to go back to anything criminal. Right. So what were the business ideas that were really floating around in your head during this time being locked up? And what, what was the, what were the actual years the you got locked up? What date? Um, I got locked up February, 2000 and I got out October, 2008. And so I was in Lompoc, USP from 2000 to 2002, <laughs> and then from 2002 to roughly about 2004, five, I was in Sheridan, FCI, and then I ended up going to Herlong after that FCI, and that's where I, um, that's where I, I, I was released from. But um, you know, while I was in Sheridan, I kind of played with ideas for being, you know, creating a production company. Um, buying and selling cars. I was into, I love classic cars and stuff. So I'm like, say, I'm gonna get into doing some stuff like that. Um, starting a clothing brand. Um, 
getting into some um, possible like some other real estate investments. And I would try to pick do the guy's brains in there, ask him different stuff and then figure out like, you know, what I want to do as far as like, okay, if I can, you know, what, what resources would I need here? And, um, and then try to figure out how I can maximize that with this guy and kind of piece up with guys. Cause I knew that I needed to find other people who had the same interests and maybe if we all work together, hmm. we can make stuff happen. And so when I was in, in her long is when I came up with the fresh out concept, I said, man, I should make a show about guys. Cause I see everybody watching cops, right. you know, you go in prison. I'm like, dude, these guys are watching cops on two TVs. That's crazy. Right. We're all locked up. You guys are watching cops. So I'm like, I need to make a show about guys getting out of prison right. and being successful. So I'm like, okay, that's one of my ideas. My other idea, you know, I'm gonna start this clothing brand. My other idea, I'm gonna buy and sell cars. So when I got out, I eventually hooked up with my partner, Big Ant, and you know, we we shot our first video, Cali Muscle, our first video. Cali Muscle was the first interview you ever did. Yeah, Cali Muscle. I met Cali Muscle at LA Fitness Universal. And we used to chop it up. And I'm like, man, you should come on my show, man. I'm, like, I'm starting the show. He's like, what it is? And, you know, I told him about it. And then my neighbor, I seen he always used to shoot. He had a camera. So I'm like, dude, how much would you charge me to shoot this this uh, this uh, interview? And that became our first episode. And from there, we took off. And then we started shooting other interviews. At that time, did it feel like there wasn't really anybody doing this sort of content? And what year are we talking that you really started? Uh, 20... 2012, 2013. That's pretty crazy because, like, nowadays the prison YouTube space oh, is kind of flooded. Yeah, saturated. You call yourself the godfather. Yeah, we started that because we, we, we kicked it off, and our message was so different with what we were what we were talking about and not glorifying it. Mm. And yeah, we took it to a whole nother level. We When I started, it was nobody else doing it. There was maybe a year after us, maybe somebody else started it, but nobody was talking about it like how we were doing, like, you know, prison talk, answering questions you know, um, doing the interviews and showing people, not like people bragging about gang stuff, but actually people who got jobs who are successful. I mean, everybody pretty much we interviewed had something positive to share with the audience. Mm. Did you identify early on, I'm guessing, that negativity tends to sell better than positivity? And how do you deal with the fact that you know, I'm assuming that you probably get more views from uploading a video that is like, you know, uh, I went to prison and I stabbed 50 people rather than I went to prison and I got out and I started a youth ministry or something like that. <laughs> the more positive it is, I'm guessing the less clicks it gets. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. It's funny. I had a guy who, who went to prison. He did an interview with us, got out. He's worth like 40 something million. Video got maybe 3,000 views. Wow. Another video guy talking about how you know, uh, riot stabbing and busting cheeks, somebody getting raped, dude, it, over, you know, million, million views, mm. you know, it's, it's like, dude, this guy right here, he's got, he's a, he's a, he's a millionaire. This guy's successful. He's telling you how he changed his life. They, oh, we don't want to hear about that. That's your, your, that's that square stuff. We talk about the guys who got raped. Mm. What about, you know, that guy will, will somebody take his cheeks? I'm like, that's crazy. That's all they want to hear about cheeks, male, male rape and stabbing. That's it. You told we talk about oh my god a million views oh the, did the midget get raped oh <sighs> did, did that guy's brother get raped oh man you know what about Big Mike you know they do they want to hear about the it's like crazy man I'm like you know so actually we we dumb our channel down mm. well I feel like yeah you got to sort of. Uh you got to mix the the medicine in with the sugar a little bit where, yeah. you know, if they do have a, and that's what I've, I've instructed people before. who are like, I don't really know what I would talk about in the interview. I'd be like, listen, 
tell me some crazy ass shit. Like think of the stuff that you are okay with letting go, but then also figure out how you're going to fit your current message into that. Because, you know, you can get their attention one way and you can tell them the shit that you really want them to know in the next breath. It's like, remember when you were a kid and they put medicine in applesauce and you eat the applesauce? What is in this? It tastes sweet, but then it's like you eat it and it's got the medicine in it. Rest in peace to my cat, but towards the end of his life, that's how we were getting him to take his medicine. We're oh, okay. Smashing it up and putting it in with the cat food and he'd actually eat it. And I'm like, man, you're a dumb motherfucker because that's the same <laughs> shit I've been trying to get you to take all week. Yeah. 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 That's how you got to do it, man. So I try to, you know, I got to add in some crazy stuff, some stabbing, mm. some others, you know, you know, guards doing this and everybody likes that. Then slide in some little little game what is it about prison rape that seems like people are just so incredibly fascinated i guess i guess my theory is always like people want you to explain shit to them that they will never be able to get on their own and that's kind of being in prison alone is very fascinating to people because most people never go and then the idea that you could be like forced to have sex with somebody within prison people are even more fascinated by yeah it's I don't, I don't know, man. I guess the, the male domination over another male, somebody thinks like there's something like, not the fact that they're doing it, but the fact that somebody was subjected to that, yeah. that that sparks interest. But it's like to know anybody who's had somebody take their, take their butt, dude, that's a horrible, man, horrible. You know what I mean? Because literally it's like, dude, you, you're going to have to, you got to kill a dude. You know what I mean? Nobody really. I mean, you got guys who go in there who who are homosexual who maybe are cool with that because they're like, oh, okay, you know, I got this do whatever. And I've seen situations like that where you know, and they always tell you, you know, you don't. There's three things you don't mess in prison. You don't get caught with drugs, gambling, and punks. Mm. No offense, but those are the things. Always drama. That's why they usually separate because once you have one on the yard, it's gonna it causes all kind of problems. But like to, to know that somebody raped somebody else. I mean, dude. I've never ran across anybody that actually, you know, confessed or admitted, like raping another man. You know, I've been in an institution where I've seen dudes who get caught up in a, you know, they got a punk or something like that, or, you know, one of a little a boyfriend or something like that. punk is like your little boyfriend that does what you say? Clean the cell, do all the stuff. I mean, Yuri, there's a, you, if you know, will. No? you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and I'm not talking down on the people who are into that, but that's what, you know, in prison. But if you, like, say, for instance, if you are considered you're not with that, and, and they're like, hey, man, you know what I do at the other institution? He had, a, he had a boyfriend, he had a punk. You're like, what? Now, if they warned you and you continue to socialize with that dude, you're a suspect. Yeah. So you can't, you, you got to cut him off completely mm. because even though she might have been your dude, you got to cut him off because you can't cross those lines. So it's a very, it's a very straight line. There's nobody I know, no gangsters. You're not doing that to another man and hanging out with the homies. Mm. Nobody's respecting that. Yeah. Cause I've been hearing about shit like that my whole life, but I never heard a single dude admit to it or, or say no. anything like that. You know what else is like that too, though? I, I always hear about how, you know, like, a. Basically, like people getting the date rape drug is really common. I never, heard, I never heard a dude admit to that, acknowledge that ever. But you'll hear girls talk about how they got something slipped into their drink all the time. It's apparently very popular, but I've never heard a dude even hint at it. You know, I, I've never, I've heard, I know, a, I know a female that happened to her, right? And uh, and then I know a guy. He used to tell me that. He said, he, you know, he possibly thought he would drug before, but he caught himself. But, you know, and it was in a situation where there was some at a, at, a, at a place where there was a lot of males and he thought maybe somebody slipped something in his drink. 
So I've heard of it happening, yeah. but it's like, you know, in prison, there's no slipping nothing to your drink. It's just a dude trying to, <laughs> right. you know, and then, you know, and another thing, you know, you got guys like a dude told me, he's like, dude, there's a guy, he's walking around, he has these tight ass pants on from laundry. You know, you don't wear, they charge, you, you just tell them, I'm not wearing these. You go to the hole before you put on some tight pants that show. So when you're doing that, you're basically advertising. Wow. And somebody's going to, I mean, these guys are going to try you. You got dudes that are, they're masters at, you know. Manipulation. And busting and, cheeks. And power. Yeah. And busting, the masters at busting <laughs> masters, cheeks. Masters, man. I mean, dude, they don't care. They're doing life. You know what I mean? They're on some predator shit, man. <sighs> Horrible. That's scary to think that you could be a heterosexual guy who would get to that point in your life that your options were so slim and that you had so little oh. to do that you would rather take some cheeks from Kyle it, it, down it, the it, hall. Yeah. They, they, uh, you know, and then dudes do it slick. You know, they try to, you don't ever sit on it. Like, dude, try to sit on the same side mm. of the bed as you or come from the shower and stop at your cell. Man, you don't, man, you better put some clothes on. You don't come over here with your towel on, man. Mm. You know what I mean? What you trying to, you're trying to bust my eyes? Right. You know what I mean? Somebody told me one of the main things is that if somebody leaves like a candy bar on your bed, you shouldn't eat it. No, you never eat a candy bar or, or somebody you, you try to share a joint. You don't right. share a joint. You don't smoke somebody else's cigarettes. But that's like in a movie. I've never seen that. What you'll more or less see, like if a dude thinks somebody's soft, like a dude will go and like on the way from the shower or to the shower, he'll stop at another dude's cell and be trying to talk to him when he's not dressed. That's weird. Like trying to like, 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 his, like he's like almost like a dude talking to a girl and his and it's in the swimsuit, like, hey, babe, what's up with you, girl? Blah, 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 blah. Right. So if this dude is starting, like, dude, don't, don't, you don't have your boxers, you know what I mean? That type of stuff. So when they'll start doing that, the next thing you know to do to try to say, hey, let's look, you know, show you a, a, a fiend book you guys looking at together. Oh, God. What are you doing looking at a fiend book with another dude together? You don't do no shit he's, like that. He's feeling you but out. But he feels you see out. How open to like, it you like are. how yeah. you respond, like, oh, look at this. You know what I mean, dude? You, you never cool? do nothing. If a dude gives you a book in prison, you take it and go. Really? He puts it in a in a in a bag or something. You go. You don't look at the book with him. He don't need to show you any of the pictures in there. When he's trying to show you the pictures, he's trying to see how you're going to respond to him showing you those pictures. Right. And so the youngsters out there don't let no. And they do that. They're like, oh, okay, he's cool with looking at the book with me. Right. What's next? You don't want to give anybody anything that no. they could use against you. No, and they're, and, they're, and he's trying to see what you, how far he can take it. Mm. These are all little tests. That's no different than you going with a girl and you turn on an adult movie, and if she's cool with it, you're like, oh, okay. You mm. see what I'm saying? See the, see the trick? It's the same thing, but with a book. Man, I would never want to put on an adult movie around a girl without like explicit permission. That feels like it would be pretty fucking awkward with a lot of, of women. Of course, but you see my point. <laughs> yeah, you no, know what definitely. I mean? If but if she's cool with it, you're going to be like, oh, well, she's, yeah, she's down. You yeah. know, you're not going to go from looking at, uh, sh sh you know, uh, Chevy magazine to pulling out an adult book and be like, right. hey, check this out. Definitely. You know. So, okay. That early stage in you making content, though, your first your first piece was you talking to Cali Muscle. Like, how was that experience, and how did you gravitate towards that feeling of like, okay, you know, I'm on camera, and now the the pressure's on. I gotta make some content that the people will, will enjoy. Did you feel like you kind of hit it on the on the head right away, or, or how did you take to becoming a content creator? Um, I just kind of like tried to be natural with it and ask questions I thought people would be interested in. I mean, my first attempt, I had a, a generic camera that I had got before I got out of prison and I tried to film some stuff and I didn't have the proper mic. Mm. It, you know, I shot it by, you know, it was, it was noisy and I was, the person interviewing me, it wasn't very, the audio was very bad. So when we did Cali, we got somebody who's professional and I just kind of asked them questions. I thought that, um, 
that the audience would be interested in. And so as I started going, I got better at my, my conversation and I didn't really know where we were going to go with it. I mean, we kind of figured we wanted to build a brand, mm. but the brand kind of morphed into itself as far as after that, with other people coming along and people emailing us, Hey man, can you do it? Can I do an interview or, you know, can you ask this question? And then just kind of like turned into its own little animal. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that must've been a pretty great feeling though. Just, you know, thinking about all the different things you did throughout your life in order to try to make some money and then all of a sudden you're getting a check from youtube that's like hey you got this many views here's here's some money i mean that must have been felt pretty powerful like damn i i, I spent a lot of fucking time behind those walls to get some money and now here i am making money off of just sharing my life with people you know i always tell people i say it's like uh you're a walking atm mm. so if you got all these guys rapping making fantasies about all this stuff and you've lived it why not bring that to life and, and, and share that on a platform where you can monetize it. So I always looked at, I had so much I had been through in life, why not share that and try to monetize that and also help people at the same time? So that was kind of like my big goal was talking about my life experience, but not glorifying, but just sharing. And at the same time, maybe there's a life lesson in there. Right, no, definitely. There's definitely there's a lot of life lessons in all that. Um, who, who are the conversations that you had that stood out to you the most that like you know this person taught me something or this person's story really moved me were there any of those that that really stood out to you um as far as like some of the stories that were pretty crazy i mean we interviewed a guy who was uh down in mexico and he was doing the thing hustling larry he got kidnapped by the cartel okay he actually was, was uh, a bodybuilder yeah i saw that thumbnail yeah. but i didn't click it okay oh man the dude man he was tortured they pulled his toenails out oh jesus oh, yeah Christ. he was down there for like over over she two knew weeks. i wanted the back with laura this is why you're the best employee i'm giving you a raise. <laughs> yeah his interview was really good i mean it, for him to have gone through that and actually made it out now he's out here with a successful gym is uh a very positive um there's a couple other people we interviewed who have stories of success as far as like having um, overcome like certain challenges and now they're actually have legit jobs. There's a, uh, one of the guys who we, who we have, we have a guy who had um, a dentist. He didn't go to prison, but he ended up opening up a, a, a dentist, uh, a dentist facility office and multiple offices, like 13 of them and sold them, made like like 20 something million. Wow. Yeah, he was successful and he could have went to prison. He was doing some stuff that could have got him caught up. Um, more or less the people who have like shown perseverance, you know, um, and, and, and been able to kind of influence other people in their stories um, are the main ones. Cali's story, you know, good. He, he took what he did and actually became a personality. And um, even some of the guys who just got regular jobs, you know, the fact that they're now utilizing their their stories to help other people you know D, uh ghost ghost loke you know his stories about you know being sober now you know getting off the drugs and mm. stuff like that those stories to me have the, the biggest impression right definitely because i mean i always think about um there was once there's a video i watched at one point about a guy who was a professional skateboarder back in the day and he ended up getting into a big fight after a, a, a night out at the bar Ends up getting into a fist fight with a dude, punches him in the head, boom, kills him. Mm. Gets arrested, I think does, you know, like at least 15 years or something like that, locked up. Just like a regular-ass white guy, skateboarder. He was a bad alcoholic at the time, too. 
and I'm watching this interview with him and it's really showing his life after he gets out. And it just occurs to me like, this is a guy who's really fucking thankful and really happy to just be able to have this normal life. You know, when you've lived I mean, you've been through hell, I mean, there's an extent to which even just having a sort of basic family life could be the most amazing thing in the world. Do you find, do you find that with yourself that you have like a different level of appreciation for the small things in life because you've been behind the bars? Oh, for sure, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes I have to stop and just kind of think back to when I first got out and I was in a halfway house in South Central and I didn't have anything and I would catch the bus and, you know, I'm just trying to get around and, and, and figure out what I'm going to do with my life. But um, to look back and see where I'm at now, I'm just so much more appreciative. You know, and I see people like when I see homeless people, I went down to Skid Row and me and my partner and my wife, we passed out clothing and, you know, it was that night and it was like, like Skate from New York. People were like all over the clothes and we were passing out shoes. I had a bunch of shoes and sweatsuits and stuff. And I'm like, man, you know, and I look at myself, I'm like, dude, I'm just, you know, it could have went any, it, it could have went any ways, you know, I mean, it, it, you know, luckily I didn't ever get hooked on drugs. Mm. Luckily I didn't, I didn't ever kill nobody. Luckily I didn't do this, you know, luckily, you know, the bank robbery didn't get worse than what it was, you know, so I am, you know, I figured there is a lesson or bigger purpose. So I have to really, you know, look for that and, and appreciate where I'm at because, um, dude, it, my life could have been in a totally different, different, different place, man. Right. You know, I left a lot of good people in prison. 100%. Do you think about that much? Is like, is there is there a temptation to like get out of prison and just not ever think about it again? Or is it the kind of thing that you find yourself dwelling on or sort of bringing yourself back to because it kind of helps center you in a way? I try not to think about it. I used to have nightmares, man. Really? I would have dreams like out of nowhere where I'm in prison and I don't know how I got there. And I'm asking for my release date and nobody would tell me my release date. And I'm just like... Dude, I don't, I'm just like, it's a, it's a bad dream. I'm going to the guards, man, I'm supposed to be out of here. Why am I here? Why am I here? And I can't get out and I'd wake up and, you know, I used to have those dreams in prison where I would dream I was on the streets and it, I hear the doors click, click, I'm like, oh man, I, you know, as soon as the doors click, you gotta put your boots on, you know, be ready because somebody might run in your cell. So it's like, dude, you know, there, and there's people I ran across that I knew, in, that knew me in prison and I can't remember them cause I blacked that out. Mm. I try to, it's like, I try to erase that. I don't, there's nothing I enjoyed about that. I have some good dudes I met in there, but it's a lot of the stuff I try to forget about it, man, because it was a horrible experience, man. It was horrible. Right, definitely. I mean, yeah, it really stands out to me when I think about you and Callie, like having had conversations with both of you where, you know, you guys both fell into the, the issues that you did because you only had one idea really of how you were gonna be successful or how you're gonna be a man, you know? Nowadays, I see these surveys of young kids that say that, like, you know, if you ask, like, an eight-year-old what they want to be, they want to be a YouTuber. They want to be a vlogger. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's kind of hard to believe at a certain point where I'm like, damn, how did I accidentally end up taking on the job that all these little kids would want or whatever? But I say that just to say that, like, a lot of people like people like you who grew up during, you know, the crack era and shit like that, I mean, you, you didn't have the knowledge that all these kids now get to have of... You know, if you want to be an individual, if you want people not to be able to tell you what to do, if you don't want to have a boss, you don't need to go out and be a gangster. You don't need to go out and be yeah. a, a crack salesman. You know, you could be an online creator. It almost sounds like bullshit because it's not like everybody can do that, but it's definitely a better thing to aspire to than to want to be this tough guy that's like ultimately going to land you behind bars. 
Well, I mean, you made a great point because like now you can literally, you know, run a crypto wallet. You can run an Etsy store, eBay store. You can sell on Amazon and you can open your business. You can do everything from a smartphone. Right. I mean, you know, back in the day, you know, when I was really trying to start, you had to get the yellow pages and I had an old, you know, what is it like a, a Texas instrument computer is hella slow and you got the little keyboard. And I mean, it wasn't no internet connection or none of that stuff. So as a kid, you had to try, you were only, you were only, you only, you're only, your, your capabilities of what you had access to. Right. You couldn't, you know, communicate with a guy in Japan or find something over and, you know, across, you know, across the country. So it was different, man. I mean, you're, you're limitless now. I think of a lot of businesses like if i had wanted to start a t-shirt company in you know 1991 i mean yeah i probably could have also like looked up you know t-shirt printing in the phone book or something like that but you know now i i've never done it but i know i could go on youtube and search up how to make t-shirts how to yeah. print my own t-shirts yeah there's going to be 500 videos about it some of those videos are going to millions of views there's going to be people who have amazon affiliate links to buy shit in the description like stuff is so easy now if you want to figure it out in comparison to you know in the 80s or the 90s it wasn't the information age like it is now you had to be a little bit more intelligent about how to go out and find this information but now it's like stuff is so right there in front of you that it's like you know for kids who don't see how limitless the opportunities are right now i do oftentimes end up feeling kind of bad for them because when I was a kid, I felt like I, I didn't know what the fuck was going on with the world, but I had a good excuse because I didn't have a computer yet. <laughs> <laughs> but see, no. you had to leave the house when we were growing up. Oh, yeah. You had to go out there. Like you said, you look at a phone book mm. and then you called and you had to look on a Thomas guide on how to get there. Yeah. So everything was effort. You had to, there were steps where now, literally, you don't have to leave your, your, your bedroom. You could be in there all day doing whatever you need to do, mm. banking, you know, printing a T-shirt, sending an approval for a design, you know, doing this, ordering, ordering blanks. I mean, it's a totally different world, man. So it's like you said, the, the, the excuses, and I tell people, look, man, I've been, I'm a three-time felon, mm. and I'm a black guy, and I mean, you know, and, and I'm whatever else, you know, what is your excuse? You don't have no excuse. You, ne you don't have no record. You, you've never been in trouble. You can do whatever you want to do. You can carry a gun legally. You can do all this stuff, man. What are you, what are you complaining about? Mm -hmm. You can do something and nobody even knows, has to know that you're black, Mexican, or white. You can just be anonymous and make money. That's how crazy it is. It's like, why you, what are you complaining about? You just want something to complain about. Mm -hmm. There's no excuses. I mean, I, I mean, I got, I had all this stacked against me, man. And I still came out here and made a success and I'm showing other felons. Come on, man. What's your excuse? Do you feel like at this point, um, where was I going with this? Do you feel like at this point, th does being a felon still impact your life in some ways, or does your your history still sort of haunt you to some extent, or is it is it all good at this point? Yeah, I mean, to some extent, like some people want to bring it. They'll if they want to find a reason. Well, you did porn. I said, well, damn, Kardashians did porn. I mean, you know, yeah. but, you know, I was like, that's 20 years ago. So if they really want to try to find a reason because they feel like, well, I, you know, I, I, I want to find a reason. So let me just bring this up. Or, you know, what would you go to prison for? Or you, that was kind of violent. And I'm like, at the end of the day, I'm like, dude, if you're going to accept me, accept me for who I am. But you can't really use that as an excuse when you guys are endorsing people in, in all these other genres that are basically promoting murder and murder rape and mayhem mm. you know and i'm trying to say hey contrary to that so it's like almost like a two-edged sword it's like you, you know you want to use my past because it's a real past but this guy has a fake past mm. but he's 
getting paid from it. Yeah. It's a pretty crazy uh, realization to, that I've seen a lot of different people have. You know, I was sitting here with Big U, and he's talking about how, you know, he just at some point had this epiphany, this realization that his life experience was so real that he could basically spend the rest of his life sort of selling these stories that he lived back to a wider audience, mm-hmm. stuff that he's lucky that he survived, that it's pretty inexplicable that he's even still here on the earth. But he's able to sort of like, you know, retell those stories and people want to pay him to be a producer on their documentaries and all this stuff because he's had such a real life experience. I mean, like the, the enemy of the average young person who wants to be a creative, if you're 18, 19, you want to be a YouTuber, you want to be a writer, you want to be a documentarian, you ain't lived yet. You know, mm-hmm. that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Like you got you got to do some living before people are going to hear you talk about anything. Guys like you, Cali Muscle, Big U. To varying extents, you guys have lived crazy ass lives, and there's there's you know people who want to hear those stories and and value to be had there. Yeah, and I think you know taking taking that note that a lot of kids you know you don't have to do that to still be successful. Right. You know, if, if you never shot anybody or had to you know rob a bank or sell drugs, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. You know, just work with somebody. You know, you can make up a story. You can still get paid from it, but going to do that to prove yourself is not the route. I mean, yeah. there's there's a ton of cool. Don't get me wrong. There's a ton of cool shit that you could do that you could then talk about in your art that doesn't involve shooting. So I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure Big U wishes that if he could go back in time, that he would have not had to be involved with some of the shit that he was involved in in order to be in the position he's in now. But you know, it's like if you were a fucking heroin addict. I mean. I have a friend who was a heroin addict who, who beat it, been clean for almost 10 years. He goes on my podcast. He goes on different podcasts. He speaks about his experience. And it's like him having lived through that, it, it offers him like a really interesting perspective that we could view our world from, I guess. And I think having these people who have lived these experience sharing with young people actually does a, a great justice because there's not enough of us sharing, mm. you know, back in the day, you know, they used to have like the OGs would kind of lace you up, like kind of like the elders would tell you, Hey, blah, 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 blah. But now there's nobody to do that. We're the OGs who are supposed to tell these youngsters like, Hey man, come here. Man, what the hell are you doing over there? Blah, 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 blah. Man, get over here, man. Your mom knows better than that, man. Get up in the house, man, till your mom get home from work. You need that. Mm. You need that influence. So a lot of these older, you know, older cats who have been through the game, you know, they don't realize the impression they have on these young people that can change lives. And that's kind of like what the whole pr- premise of our show is, is to positively show these kids like, look, man, you know, you don't have to do this. And you can you can kind of avoid this and be successful while having to go through all this. And a lot of kids, man, we get the parents saying, hey, man, I watch, you know, fresh out my kids, man, and they listen to you. They wouldn't listen to me. Mm. So it works. Yeah, that's one thing I was going to ask about is like, do you feel like sometimes you've sort of like aged out of the demographic that a young person is going to listen to? Because it feels like sometimes they're more likely to want to take advice on life from a fellow, you know, 19, 20, 21 year old. And that the older you get, the more I feel like I'm kind of talking to deaf ears sometimes when I'm telling somebody how they should live their life. They start looking at me like, man, you're a fucking millionaire. You're 37. What the hell do you know? You know, it's it's kind of it's kind of it bounces back and forth because when I read the comments, there are youngsters out there who like actually like man, I I watched your video 
and you know I was contemplating suicide man but then you pulled me out of the hole and you know I started going back and so it, it does they do need that so even though like the youngster like you said 2020 what can he tell them mm. they haven't lived a life and when you start talking about some of your stories they're like damn you know what I mean I never thought about that and then they related to their uncle and then they try to put it in perspective so these kids still need that it's not like you know to a degree yeah you know the age gap is there but a lot of these guys haven't lived, so if they can vicariously hear what you've done, mm. it can positively, like, they might be at a point, like, where they're contemplating something, and they hear a story, like, dude, man, I just watched that video, and it's, it's just, my, it blew their mind. Right. Definitely. In terms of the life that you're building, uh, you, you said you're a dad? You said you're a dad? Yeah. What, what ages are the, of your kids at this point? Oh, no, I'm not a dad. Oh, I, you're not? I have, oh, no, just a, I have a stepdaughter, but no kids. Oh, okay. Yeah, I missed that window. Interesting. You regret that in any Yeah, uh, you know, yeah, to a degree, but, I mean, I had to be in the right mindset. I'm glad I didn't have no baby mamas and just mm. kids out there because I would never want my kid to want to have done the things I did to get to where I'm at. So not having any kids, the fact that I wasn't there – I, I don't really have that regret, but then actually being able to share that knowledge to pass down a lot of these these great attributes, I think, is the only thing I kind of miss. Yeah, and especially being locked up, man. Like, when I hear about people getting locked up and they got family at home and they got, like, small kids at home, I mean, shit, being locked up is sad, but that's extra sad right there, having to miss out on your kid going through all that. And the kid has resentment, you know? Mm -hmm. I have guys tell me, it's like, dude, my kids don't want to talk to me. You know, what do I do? The mom, you know, I try to I try to say, hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I popped up to this and that. I'm like, dude, you got to realize the kid is blaming you for a lot of what he went through mm. because you weren't there. You can't you can't raise a kid over the phone. Yeah. Visiting room. That's not raising a kid. Yeah. Then you're you're kind of like at a certain point it has to become like a burden on the kid where the kid doesn't look at you as like, oh, that's my dad. He's got my back. He's always around. The kid starts looking at you as, oh, that's the annoying reason why I have to drive an hour on Saturday to go, you know, meet him at the at the prison or whatever. I mean, at a certain point, that's just going to be depressing as fuck for the kid. And I mean, yeah, that's super sad. And and, and, for, and that's one of the problems why a lot of these kids don't know how to parent themselves mm. because they never had that parent. They had the mom, maybe, but or the grandparents, but they didn't have the dad. So then when it comes time for them to be a dad, what do they do? Yeah, they never had that skill set you know, kind of never evolved in them because they never knew what it was like to have a dad take him to a, a Sunday baseball game or to teach him how to um, ride a bike or to, you know, sh you know, show him how to, you know, uh, throw football, just little things. Yeah, definitely. hundred percent. How you, you're in a happy relationship now. How did you end up getting into that? Um, I met my wife online and uh, soon after you were released. No, or? Let me see, probably two, three, like three years after I got out. So we've known, we knew each other for two years before we got married and we've been married now for seven years. Wow. So, you know, she's, she's had my back and she's just like been supportive of like all the ideas and stuff I come up with. Cause you know, I, I, a lot of people, when I got out, they're like, oh man, you're talking crazy. You trying to do this and that. And mm. she was always just, how could I help? And my whole thing is like, you know, if I tell you I want to go to the moon, you should tell me how to build a rocket. Right. You know, you shouldn't contradict, you know, what my vision is if you're really my partner. No, nah, that definitely is a, a special relationship right there. Somebody who's just going to believe in you off rip. Sometimes yeah. I can tell that my girlfriend doesn't believe in me because I come up with so many fucking crazy ideas <laughs> that I could tell that she's sort of like waiting it out. Like maybe if I don't acknowledge him too much for the next hour, then he'll sort of forget about this idea. Yeah, it, it'll die out. But if it sticks around long enough, then she'll she'll get behind it. Yeah. 
Yes, yeah, it's, it's hard trying to find somebody who really has your back. I mean, you see all these relationships and they're like, you know, uh, you know, this person, that person, and it's just superficial. There's nothing mm -hmm. genuine there. You know, it's all about what you can provide for them status wise. And then a lot of guys are in a fantasy thinking this girl's into him and she's only into you because she's going to, you know, it's, some, it's something that she's gaining from it, but there's nothing there from the heart. Mm. And so finding somebody who really from the heart cares about you, it's, it's hard, man. Right. Definitely. Um, was it awkward at any point, you know, dating and telling a woman like, hey, this is what I just got done doing with the past however many years of my life. Do you ever have any, like, weird moments? Or, or do women generally think, like, oh, that's kind of cool? Um, well, <laughs> like, with my wife, her, her friends Google me. Oh, they so did you, it for you, her. Oh, you said, dude, wow. you Google. I had all kind of stuff. I got I got porn. I got oh, bank wow, robbery. I, got, I forgot about the oh, porn. Oh, yeah, yeah, so, dude, everybody, it's like a cold resume, you know? And it's like, <laughs> I can't hide it. <laughs> it's, it's everywhere. So, uh you know, I tell a person, look, man, you could take me who, for who I am, but I can't change my past. But, you know, I'm, I'm not the same person. But, uh, yeah, I can't really hide from what I've done because it's all over the Internet. Mm. You know, and a lot of people, they're going to search, you know, as soon as they leave the room, pull the name <coughs> up, you know. Yeah. Hey, it's part of what comes with being a public personality, I guess. Yeah. You got you to be able to accept the good with the bad. Mm, definitely. Um, you had all these different businesses in your mind before you left prison. Obviously, the YouTube channel's off the ground. You were just giving me some fucking uh, some supplements and some mm -hmm. merchandise and everything. What are all the different businesses that you're doing at this point? Um, well, we have Fresh Out. So we got the YouTube channel. We have Yard Time, the pre-workout. We have Man in a Can. We have a protein powder. We have a clothing line. Um, we're actually working on dropping a, a NFT that's gonna be coming down pretty soon So we're into that gonna get into that whole little world as a person who made a couple hundred thousand dollars this year off an NFT I would say it's a good idea. Yeah, that's what we're looking at So we're gonna probably be dropping that right before Christmas. We're working on that right now nice. And then I do public speaking and life coaching and stuff like that So, you know, I just really branched out and tried to do a bunch of different things and I, I wrote a script So we're in the process of selling a script right now and I wrote my autobiography that I'm working on selling too So really yeah, I got a bunch of different things. I always try to keep myself busy with multiple projects nice so you haven't had a traditional job in quite some time you no. mostly just focused on all these different businesses you got going oh just focused on myself I, you know i always tell somebody like you know if you believe in yourself and you don't give yourself a backup you're forced to have to do which what it is you really want to do because if you once you say you know you second guess yourself the universe says oh okay you really didn't want that mm. so i kind of give myself like an all or nothing option Mm. And, and I just go all out with it, you know? So even before I had a lot of these other things going, I was buying and selling cars. I would buy old schools, fix them up, flip them, buy them, flip them, you know? Then I was doing t-shirts. So I always had something going that was generating income for myself. Right, definitely. What's, um, what's your read on, like, since you've really been here to sort of see the YouTube, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, prison space develop over the past decade, um, what's your, your read on, how that whole community seems because you know sometimes i look at it and i'm like oh there's a lot of people in this world and then sometimes i look at it and i'm like a lot of these people seem like they're kind of running low on ideas or like the the, the whole base idea of like talking about prison yeah, has yeah. sort of been sapped of any of its uh prior intrigue because people sort of just running into the ground at a certain point yeah, and I think we've talked about every single topic as far as like with the questions, this and that, and going to chow and making a knife and cooking spreads and doing <laughs> this and that. So we've kind of let, you know, that's kind of why I went to the direction of uh, doing a scripted project mm. where I'm going to take our Fresh Out brand 
and we're actually going to make a series, you know, something similar to like, you know, a snowfall or something and get into a whole nother realm where we're doing streaming. So, you know, prison with all the other people now, because, you know, everything now is about talking about this guy to create a beef with this guy or saying this mm -hmm. or that. And then it's like, you know, we kind of, you know, that's not our that's not our lane. You know, we, we still share stories, but I feel it's, it's, it's time for us to transition. So the scripted and basically the network is the direction we're going in, you know, still doing YouTube, but more or less um, taking our game to a whole nother level. Yeah. I mean, that is one thing that occurred to me when I was talking to Big U is I was like, wow, like I know dudes who are telling their sort of crazy ass life stories through podcasts through YouTube channels, through, I know dudes who got movie deals and like uh, listening to Big U, I'm like, oh, he went in the documentary angle, which is basically like the same type of content that me and you create really, mm -hmm. but, you know, sort of like condensed together to make like a really polished, high quality version. And I think that that's so cool is that not only is your life story something that you could basically sell back to the people, but that there's a whole bunch of different formats. You know, you could write a book, you could have a podcast, you could have a channel, uh, you know, you could have a documentary series, et cetera. I mean, there's just, it's not just like, oh, I could tell my story. You know, you could tell your story in a lot of different ways too. And, and I think like once you can kind of diversify those different ways of telling your story, whether it's through creating characters or creating a brand, it opens up a lot more doors like you know anybody can sit here and just tell war stories mm. but now taking that to the next level is actually say narcos yeah or uh you said snowfall and i was yeah. immediately like there's no reason why your story couldn't theoretically be adapted into something that high quality but well, that's the idea that's something we kind of right now we got a pilot done and we're working we got a whole series uh season done and that's kind of like the direction we're going in but um, that right there is not something somebody can just follow because if you can't write, oh, yeah. it's like that's a whole lot to creativity, creating a story arc. The resources. Because like resources, what, yeah. you, what you do and what I do is very much from the ground up. Like, yes. you know, you, you could spend a couple hundred dollars and have the setup to basically create what I'm doing right now. You know, it's like that. that but that's what I respect a lot. Somebody who does a documentary, it's like. That's a, a lot of work to yeah. create one piece of content. Yeah. The, the economics of that don't make any sense for you two, but yeah. the, so I really respect people who take that on. Yeah, it's a next level platform. That's why, you know, like I said, uh, you know, teaming up with a couple guys and writing something to create people based on people I've interacted with, mm. people from prison, people from just, you know, living life, you know, tying in different elements, whether it's, you know, things from the street, things from the entertainment industry, and, and putting that on the big screen, that's the next big move for us. Mm, 100%. Um, okay, last question. Theoretically, last question. What really gives you peace these days? Like, when do you really find yourself... Um, feeling at one like everything is right in the universe what are the stuff that you like to focus on on a day-to-day -day basis that makes you feel good uh well when i when i'm at home my wife and we're just like you know relaxing and 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 just it's quiet i'm in the backyard in the pool chilling i'm listening to the birds kind of like when you're a kid and you're playing the grass and watch a little bugs and stuff like that and you try to catch you know going back to like the just the really uh innocent times of life and, and and appreciating that that's when i appreciate like how far i've come because you know you can get caught up in oh the bling bling and the car and this and that but what about just nature and just the essence of life mm. and, and just like the quietness the peace of mind you know knowing that you got you know food on a table you know that your, your your bills are paid you know you you actually have a roof over your head and and life is great you can go out and have a nice meal if you want to you got somebody that cares about you 
that's what I appreciate and having those quiet moments in my in my head that I, I'm here. You know, what I mean, I don't I don't have to panic no more. I'm here. Yeah, you know what occurred to me the other day is like when you're young, you'll be looking at an old man walking down the street, walking slow. And you'll be thinking, what the fuck? Like, get the <laughs> fuck out of my way. Like, keep, walk faster. Like, we're, we're all trying to get somewhere. Yeah. I get a little older and I start to look at it like, you know what? Like, he's got something figured out here because yeah. there's definitely a time to slow down and just kind of enjoy life. And I like hearing old people's stories. You know, when I see guys in a gym and we start clowning or, you know, I'm at a car show and it's interesting, man. Can you hear about these guys? You're like, dude, these guys live some incredible lives, man. Mm. But they don't have the YouTube act. They're not telling their story like us. But these guys, if they told their stories, you're like, God, this guy went to the war. He did mm. this. He did that. And he, you know, and so it's like very interesting. But I appreciate those those times now with older people that when you're younger, you're like, oh, that dude, he's trying to just he's trying to, you know, trying to gossip to me. He's trying to tell me, lecture me. I don't want to hear that shit. Mm. Now I want to hear it. You know, I want to hear this this information or, you know, what your life experience was, what you went through, mm. because I can learn more. I appreciate it now what you, when you tell me. I didn't appreciate it when I was young. Mm. Not to mention that you put a camera in front of that guy's face and you get it on camera, boom, that's content. And that, yeah. could, that could be something that not only makes you some money and helps get this guy some attention and maybe get something off the ground for him, but then also could entertain thousands and thousands of people. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good feeling for a content creator is just to know if I go out tomorrow and I meet somebody who I find super interesting, well, maybe we could have a good conversation on camera and that could be something that, you know, potentially millions of people could enjoy. You bring that to life and you, you, you change a life, you know, oh, yeah. people, if somebody hear that and you read a comment and it's like, you know, that fifth comment you read, it's like, Oh man, this, this really impacted this guy, you know? And that's a great feeling knowing that the people that you have never even met that watch your show that, can relate to some of the things you say i'm sure you alone have probably influenced you know hundreds or maybe thousands of dudes to get in front of a camera make something you know put themselves out there and make a little bit of money to help feed their family etc and you know i think you being so early on it you've been able to you know be ahead of the curve throughout all this which is pretty amazing yeah, we, we uh, uh, most of the, quite a few guys who have started off our channel now got their own channels. Yeah. And we've kind of cracked that door open and we bring them back to try to help their brand. So we've actually helped a lot of guys who would have normally, I, you know, a couple of guys I talked into, you, they would have never even done it, mm. you know, but I said, hey, make sure you tell your story. You should share, you know, share your, your what you went through. And now these guys are kind of doing their thing. So it's great to actually, you know, help other people realize their potential that they didn't know they had. Yeah, I mean, that that's a great feeling when, you know, you do a piece of content with somebody and it gets, you know, half a million views, million views, whatever it might be. And then you realize at a certain point that they start doing the math in their head and they're like, so I could have made, I, I could put my, I can make videos of myself. I could put myself out there and I could make that kind of money. Like, you know, I see people get basically like converted into content creators all the time yeah. because they go on No Jumper, they go on Vlad, they go on whatever. And they just realize, like, oh, I have some real value in just speaking. Yeah, and, 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 and you know, whatever it is you have went through, and if you can leverage that, it's just being able to be uh, a humble host and somebody that can share. You know, a lot of times, you know, I tell people, it's like, you, you can't have ego, mm. you know, because at the same time, you're, you're sharing something, but you got to be able to realize that it's open to everybody. So I always try to be humble whenever I talk to somebody or interview somebody or I approach somebody about doing an interview because, like, you know, I was that guy before that was just starting out. Mm. Yeah, and you have to you have to stay humble to a certain extent because you just 
you, you almost can't do content if you're jaded. Like, mm-hmm. if you don't care anymore, then it's like, it's almost... I'm like, how are you going to have that conversation? I feel like the audience will be able to tell immediately if you're having a oh, conversation you don't vibe. give a shit about. Yeah. Yeah. They'll definitely vibe off you. Like, did you see how he was looking at him or yeah. how he was sitting there at, real short with his questions? And on you YouTube, there's always somebody who wants your space. Yeah. So you better, yeah. you better give a fuck about what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Um, anybody you want to thank? Anything, anything you want to shout out or tell people to go check out right now? Um, I want to thank my wife, Lisa, my, my partner, Big Ant, uh, my manager, Stuart, and make sure everybody go subscribe to Fresh Out on YouTube, Big Herc 916 on YouTube, and uh, check out the websites, freshoutseries.com, and also uh, bigherc916.com, and uh, shout out to my mom for staying down with me, man, through all the drama thick and thin man how's she mom knows, doing she's doing good man she's she's uh she's holding it down man and she's she's always had my back man you know what i mean she's she had me at a young age man and i can only imagine when i see young people now with kids i mean my mom had me she's barely 14 yeah i mean dude to be 14 years old and have to deal with a child during that time if it had to be rough man i can only mm. imagine and thank god that she's had such a long life that she's been able to see you get to this point yes because that would have been a real shame if uh you know she passed away before you were able to get to such a good place in life yeah being able for her to be able to see my success now and and where i'm at and the fact that um you know i had took her through so many just phases in life you know i'm glad that she can see that and i can share it with her yeah that's real shout out to mom Shout out my mom, too. I was hanging out. She was here this morning, actually. <laughs> Shout out to his mom. I wish she got to meet Big Herc, but hey, we're here. No Jumper, Big Herc, coolest podcast in the world. Check us out on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, Patreon, etc. Like, comment, subscribe, nojumper.com if you want to support. Very thankful, man. Appreciate you giving us your time, and uh, hopefully some good things come of this. Hey, man, I appreciate it, man. Much respect. Thank you. Big Herc.